irrespective of gender, um, you will not become successful unless you're born with a silver spoon, unless you are tenacious, resilient, have a thick skin, work harder than everybody else. You're not going to become successful doing a nine to five. That's not a thing. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Mislabeled. We're probably at about 40-something at this point, but as always, losing track because we're churning him out. Um, thank God we have a very, very special guest with us today. However, before we get to our guest, I want to give a big shout-out and thank you to our sponsor, A&E Tax Advisors. A&E Tax Advisors is a tax advisory firm that helps you limit your tax liability by using various different financial instruments to set up your finances in a specific way to help you avoid lots and lots of taxes, uh, like a good Jewish businessman and businesswoman. And I have used them myself and done very, very well with them. Um, really fantastic people. You can reach out to Ellie at taxadvisors.com. That's E-L-I at taxadvisors.com. Exact, spelled exactly in the description. You can find it there. Um, again, that's E-L-I at taxadvisors.com. With that being said, Let's get rolling. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Okay. Pretty good. I'm happy to hear that. You normally have some quip. Nothing today? No, we're still loading today. We're still loading. I hear that. Yeah. Um, okay. Now to our guest, um, who I've been running after for, what, two months now or something? I've been bothering you? Uh, I'm bothering. I was happy to join the podcast, honestly. And I would not take his ad too lightly, by the way. Like, it sounds like an ad, but if you have a business, a good tax advisor is everything it could be almost double your money oh to 100 by the way i'm not kidding when i say this this person saved me 250 grand this past year That's i'm not i'm not exaggerating when i say that and not just that and by the way this is applicable for people 1099 and self-employed okay so that's what who this is for if you're on uh yeah that's really who this is for um otherwise you probably are wasting your time but that's how you should lead the ad by the way this guy, Ellie, saved me $250,000. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not here to advertise. The conversation came up. I'm not here to advertise exactly how much money he saved me. That's not the point. Yeah. But anyways, um, we have with us Elizabeth Sutton. Elizabeth, how are you? I am good. I love the energy happening right now. Yeah, we, we come in firing. Um, first of all, am I calling you Elizabeth, Liz? What is it? Doesn't matter. All good either. So we're going to call you Liz. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I, I say this at least once every podcast. You could do whatever you want with the mic, but most important that it's like somewhere in this vicinity over here. Okay, great. Um, so a lot of people know who you are, but we have a very wide audience. We have Zach and myself who have <laughs> very diverse views. We're very close, but we have different views and we attract very different sides of the spectrum, which is one of the cool things about our podcast, I think. Um, and a lot of people may not know who you are on both sides of the spectrum, really. So can you just, in your own words, tell us what you're known for? And yeah, let's just go with what you're known for to start. So I'd say most people still don't know who I am. And that is something that I'm working on changing because I would like to be across between the next, uh, Ralph Lauren, Andy Warhol and Martha Stewart, I'd say is Elizabeth Sutton. Um, I am an artist, designer, entrepreneur, single mother of two amazing children, I'm completely self-taught. My business is currently comprised of fine art, which is the uber luxury market. Think like ten dollars to $35,000 paintings. Um, but then I also design fashion accessories, also luxury market. I have a number of licensing deals. I have five tile collections. They are magnificent. They're in hotels and restaurants around the world. I design puzzles, luxury girls' accessories, backpacks, rugs, um, all sorts of things. 
And I am currently working on a huge collection of home decor that I think is hopefully going to change my life. I have two children who are the loves of my life and basically the inspiration behind everything I do. I have an amazing boyfriend now, thank God, which is forcing me to balance a little. Um, I am from Brooklyn, New York, Jewish community, um, sixth generation New Yorker, uh, lived my life a little bit backwards, the Jewish style, got married young, had kids, was a housewife, decided that life wasn't for me, hashtag mislabeled. Um, <laughs> Got a divorce, lost a lot of shit. Can I curse on this? Absolutely. Okay. Whatever the fuck lost you want. Lost a lot of shit. Um, reassessed my life, realized that the values that existed didn't align with what I wanted for my life. Went through a lot of trauma, and I uh, started a career. Wow. You are wow. the absolute perfect person for us to interview and to have on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're like a struggling artist, and you know, like you're just really. <laughs> I'd say like a non-struggling Probably. and healed artist, right? I think yeah. a lot of people go into the creative spheres, whether it's music, whether it's art, to uh, heal things from their life, to express things that happen in their life. It's actually a very healthy coping mechanism. They use it in therapies all the time, yeah. um, creative therapy. And uh, I had a lot of trauma in my life, a lot. This pretty face and this pretty house and pretty clothing don't show anything about my life. And um, my art saved my life. That's amazing. Um, okay, I, we will get to the trauma, and I do have obviously a lot of questions on that, but I want to first focus on the art. I think that it's, uh, first of all, I, for everyone, no one's here, obviously, but I walked into this house. It is crazy. Let's just start with that. There's probably about 15 people working here. Um, every room has a different design. Uh, we tried setting up the cameras in ways that could catch things. But you say you're self-taught, which to me, looking at this house is, is really crazy. Um, were you doing this as a kid? No, I started painting um, about seven years ago when my son was born. I was a Upper East Side Jewish princess housewife. I never, I never took art when I was a kid. The only artistic thing I did was scrapbooking. Uh, we had lost all our money. I was in the middle of a fancy renovation on my son's nursery. Couldn't afford the art I wanted. Picked up a paintbrush. I'd done like arts and crafts before when I was married because I was so bored. Um, but uh, completely self-taught from both technically speaking with art, mixing color, painting, sketching, everything. Um, and also design. So I do a ton of product design, and I'm completely self-taught in all those programs. In seven years. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. How can Crazy. someone clearly so freaking talented, and I'm not just saying that, obviously, to flatter you. I mean, there's not one person who could possibly walk in here and think this is not utterly insane talent. How could someone who's so talented only figure out this talent seven years ago and get so good in seven years? Is there a, What is that? First of all, I had a, a lot of motivators in my life to force me to expedite the process of achievement, um, mostly financial pressures. When I left my marriage, I left with nothing, uh, and I had to provide for two children and myself. Um, I also experienced a lot of hardship. We'll get to it maybe later in this interview um, that pushed me to achieve, but I did definitely express myself creatively prior um, in my past life when I was a housewife. I would have 16 people over for dinner on a Tuesday night, cook a magnificent, delicious dinner. So cooking was my first creative outlet and set the most gorgeous table you could ever imagine, make my own florals. That was my creative outlet. But um, I don't know. I never realized I really had a talent. It's from God. I, I think this podcast has something to do with like God faith, but still being okay, being outside the box. So I think Very I fit in so. perfectly. Yeah, you I said that. Um, you mentioned that you got 
it's just a few things. I want to, obviously, I'm just a lot going through my mind right now. So I'm just trying to figure out which point to pick on. Um, you were how old when you got married? I was 21 when I got married. I was and, in college. And you were divorced at what age? 27 with two kids. I left when my daughter was three weeks old. Wow. How did you, first of all, am I allowed to ask what happened that made you abruptly leave after your daughter's three weeks old? Um, I learned a lot about myself. I realized that there were a lot of hypocrisies in the community and the way I was raised and what I was taught. Um, I got married for love. I, from the outside, people would think I had a princess life. I went through a series of very severe losses in a, in a two-year span, um, like a lot of deaths, like real proper loss, things that teach you the lessons you need to learn. So October 14th, 2014, I was six months pregnant. My best friend, one of my best friends, was uh, hit by a bus the day after sitting on my couch. Shortly thereafter, um, my ex sat me on a couch after, like I was about to have my son, told me we lost all our money. That's like the pretty ribbon on it, but like it was very much more complex than that. That made my father-in-law sick, heart attack, cancer. Um, I started working. That's when I started working when we lost all our money. Um, and uh, I realized that the life I had was not what I wanted. I saw a lot of hypocrisies within the community um, that really shattered my innocence that I was raised with from unhappiness to cheating to corruption, stealing. To be clear, when you talk about which community you're talking about specifically? The Jewish community. The, Jewish the, community. the, 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 the Orthodox, modern Orthodox the, Jewish community, whether it's Ashkenaz, Sephardic, honestly. So I wanted really to ask that. First of all, you grew up, your last name sounds Syrian, accurate? I'm 100% Ashkenaz. Okay. I went to Yeshiva Flapush, as did both my parents. Um, I'm a sixth generation New Yorker. My great-grandfather, sixth. sixth. My great-grandfather is one of the founding um, rabbis of the modern Orthodox community in New York. His name was Rabbi Emanuel Rachman. He was the Chancellor Emeritus, one of the highest positions at Yeshiva University. Sure. He was the president of the Rabbinical Council of America. He started the Jewish Week. He was the rabbi of the oh. Fifth Avenue Synagogue. He was the president of Barilan University for 10 years. Um, and he was actually, they were considering him for the first presidency of Israel. So I come from a modern Orthodox background. Um, as you can imagine. One could say modern Orthodox royalty. Royalty, correct. Sorry. Rabbi Rachman. He should Was he at YU during the, the Rav? Um, you should Rav Google Salvechik. him. He I will. studied, correct. His shear was Rav Soloveitchik. Incredible. Okay, correct. They yeah. were peers. My great grandfather was actually one of the most um, progressive while still being a very pious man because he mm -hmm. was very religious, but he was very progressive. He was the most progressive rabbi at the time. Now it's trendy for Agunot, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But he was the most progressive rabbi at the time to stand up for women's rights within Judaism. He founded Aguna Inc. He started his own Beit Deen. Um, and he actually created the Rachman prenup that most modern Orthodox uh, people sign now when they're getting married to make the issue of the get um, a legal American issue. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is some amazing. I mean, this guy sounds like an unbelievable. I mean. The, what he accomplished, period. It yeah. sounds unbelievable. You got yichas. You got yichas. Yeah, yes, really correct. Um, cool. Um, I also have yichas, they said. People tell me, but whatever. That's a total <laughs> I don't know. Your grandfather didn't start a get. He did, saying. He's not <laughs> as cool as your great-grandfather. That's for sure. Well, that's a lot of pressure. That's the thing. It's a lot of pressure. I'm outside the box. I'm a rebel with a cause. So. Oh, you also, are you also outside the box? What do you think? I, I don't know the detail. <laughs> when you grow up modern Orthodox, I don't have a, I'll be honest. I don't know that world. So I don't understand. I'm not. How did you grow up? The fact that you're dressed like you, so not in a bad way, the fact that you're, like if you came from my house, it would be obvious to me that you're outside the box. 
But, but I grew up this way, even. Right. Where, where'd you, how'd you grow up? That's my point. I wouldn't even know. Well, tell, tell her who your yeah. great-grandfather was. No, no but how'd you grow up? Like I grew up far right-wing, like very intense litfish. Like black hat? Yes, okay. for sure. He's, he's great. It's your great-grandfather or your great-uncle? It's my great-grandfather. He's like a big Gaudelard. Yeah, Scheinberg was a big Gaudelardar. Um, in, in the Haredi world. In the Haredi world. Yeah. And, like he had 100,000 people at his Leviathan type. A lot of pressure. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My Religious dad, pressure. Yeah, my dad is like uh, the principal of a big school in Brooklyn. Like, yeah, no, I'm familiar. Which school? Chavitz Chaim, Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to keep that under wraps. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how he's holding up through all this. <laughs> Bravo to heart him. Heart attacks. Don't worry. My family also, they had a hard time adjusting. <laughs> yeah, Bravo to you. So, again, so you leave. How did you make this transition? You leave... So, oh, so I went through a series of losses. So we lost our money. I reassessed my life, realized I wasn't happy. I had gotten pregnant again um, while this was all going down. It was very public in the community. Um, I had a miscarriage. DNC forced me to reassess my life. I had just started my career. You had a miscarriage post your child being born? The, the three-week-old? Yeah. No, no, no. So after child. my son, I started my career... We just lost all our money. It made my father-in-law sick, heart attack, cancer, stress on our marriage, obviously. But I was trying to be a good Jewish wife. I was never getting divorced. I have uh, trauma from my parents' divorce. Mm. And um, I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. But at this point, I started working because we needed money. And I was the only one taking care of my family, to be honest, like you, like my son, etc. But I got pregnant again, doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, didn't have the courage to get divorced. I uh, was very scared. And... Uh, I lost that baby 12 weeks. When you have loss like that, it makes you reassess your life. I realized I was really unhappy. And if I stayed in this marriage, I was, I was not going to be proud of who I was, right? Like, had nothing to do with my ex, but as long as I was staying in that marriage, I wasn't going to be proud of the person I was. And I asked my ex for a divorce about uh, five weeks later. And that night I found that I was pregnant. Um, so that was very stressful. Wow. And you left when? So I... You know, I wasn't even sure I was going to keep my baby. Yeah. I was really in a bad place. Thank God to a lot of therapy and an amazing therapist who got me down the right path because that's my daughter. And I don't know what I'd do without my daughter. But um, as you can imagine, it's very stressful to be pregnant knowing you're getting divorced. My ex thought it was a sign from God that we were meant to work on our marriage, stay married. Mm -hmm. I knew we were getting divorced. Um, Ten weeks in... And we had no money at the time. So we were in our worst financial position. Ten weeks in, my father-in-law died. I bled out everywhere the day of the funeral, like a freaking joke. Um, told my friend, don't even tell my ex, don't even tell my husband, don't tell my family. They can't, my, we just buried my father-in-law today. Like, this is a joke. Um, I had a very complex pregnancy, hospitalized five times. Um, anyway, I left when I was, when I had a three-week-old daughter. Um, no money. I said, I'm done. He didn't get it. Um, I had, I didn't stop working from the day I had my baby three weeks and I had my first gallery opening at a restaurant called Boutique. Kendall Jenner and Haley Baldwin show up that night. I end up getting invited to leave with their friends. I end up in a recording studio in Soho with Kendall Jenner and nine rappers, none of whom I know who they were. One of whom was ASAP Rocky, who put on my engagement ring that night. Anyway, my ex was like, he was in Avel at the time, so he didn't come to the opening. I had a curfew. He was calling me, calling me. I said, I'm safe. Don't worry. I'm just in a recording studio with Kendall Jenner and ASAP. I didn't say ASAP Rocky. I didn't know who he was, to be honest. Right. I had no clue. What? <laughs> and uh, he got very mad at me the next morning. He was like, that was inappropriate. 
blah, blah. I don't get that, blah, blah, blah. I said, if you don't see how this can help my career, we're not on the same page. I'm out. Got it. I have, <laughs> I have one question Go for it. You leave after three weeks, no money, two children. How do you make that transition with no money and how do you make ends meet? And I ask that specifically because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. That the first thing they're scared of is how are they going to get off the ground? They don't have the dollars. I'll tell you, I'm ground. not going to pretend that I had nothing. So at the time we had nothing. We were in the middle of a, of a majority buyout with Comcast Ventures. Mm -hmm. We had started an app called Priv. We were the seed investors. The, so the second that deal closed, when I left him in February, we had no money. We were in due diligence on that deal. Um, that deal closed in May which gave us a little bit of liquidity because we had no cash flow, okay? And um, it gave us liquidity and uh, I negotiated a divorce settlement in six weeks, no lawyers, no discovery. My aunt helped me, made me sign documents saying she didn't, she didn't agree to what I was doing. She's not liable, liable. Um, and uh, I told myself I'd rather focus. So I took a deal that allowed me to live for two years without having to make money. And then I was gonna need to make a shit ton of money after that. Right, because um, you have two kids. Two kids. I basically put a pressure on me to produce half a million dollars a year, pre-tax dollars, um, in two years. And I, uh, which is kind of crazy, but I was so miserable at the time. I said I'd rather focus positive energy, making money than negative energy, trying to fight over money that I might never get, don't know if it exists, blah, blah. And I know I work well under pressure my whole life. And so I created a pressure cooker. And uh, that's what I did. I'm noticing two things immediately. One is definitely that you work well under pressure. But also, it seems like you have a little bit of maverick energy and that you like to do things yourself. Like, first of all, the self-taught with the art. But then also, you're saying, like, you you organize your own divorce settlement. Like, you didn't even use a lawyer. Like, that's that's some maverick. That's some, like, individualistic energy right there. It's, also, what I was thinking, that it also takes two to tango. How did your ex not fight you on any of that if he so much didn't want you to leave? I think my ex knew that I was done. Okay? Like, he knew I was done. He wasn't going to fight me. I was giving him the best settlement possible like there were certain stipulations that he demanded that I acquiesced to that I sold my soul to I'm not calling him the devil but he's not the devil but I'm I sold my soul to the devil and I was just like f this I'm out I need to get out I had so think about it I had so many people so much loss in such a short period of time like I was done you talking about energy right like I was like I need better energy in my yeah. life like this is just making me miserable fresh like, start it sounds like just mm -hmm. a total blank slate like just cut it out by the root right that's what it sounds Correct. like cut out whatever it takes toxicity wow yeah i totally get that I, i'm people think i'm crazy but i'm similar in that way i think a lot of times when you grow up with a lot of trauma like you know what trauma is and what's unhealthy and i have a thing where i will cut things out by the root and people are like how why are you cutting that out so quickly and i'm literally like because i know what this is and I, this is damaging and I'm, I don't deal with this anymore. I don't deal with that behavior anymore. Yeah. If I see it, it might not be. People don't understand the reaction, but I know what it is because I've experienced it. So. so it's funny. I had a lot of trauma from my childhood, from my parents' divorce and my father. You know, one day my father just got remarried while my parents were still technically married, started a new life, became Lubavitch overnight from modern orthodoxy. It was bad. And I actually let a toxic relationship with my father dominate my life for 15 years. And then... Um, I actually was only able to cut. That was the beginning. My divorce was the beginning of me cutting out toxicity, but I still had a lot of mm -hmm. um, baggage and trauma from my past that I definitely had not addressed. Definitely not. Um, I was like very tough on the outside, but I had problems and I didn't even realize. And then um, six months after my divorce, so I left 
in, I moved out in July, in December. I, and I, st- I had a plan in my head. I had a vision. I was going to start a whole home accessories line. That was like my dream because I, I love playing Susie Housewife. I loved hosting 16 people for dinner on a Tuesday night and setting the most beautiful table you ever saw that right. came from my childhood from my grandma, Honey Rockman, who if anyone knows her, she was a saint on this planet and a lot of people know her. Um, but I had a vision. I was going to start that. I was working on it. And then six months later, my best fle- best friend slash art assistant was killed in my car leaving my birthday party. Um, it was my first Art Basel. It was a big celebration. Um, so that was like the cherry on top to a series of trauma over a course of about two and a half years. And that um, that experience forced me into like severe grief counseling. And um, and it actually forced me to heal a lot of my tra- a lot of my past, a lot of my traumas from my childhood. My father, I finally cut him out. I finally had the balls to say, I'm done. Anything toxic in my, in my life, I'm done. The whole community was talking about it. It happened basically live on camera, more or less. Right, that's, to also, a degree. That's, so, that's so terrible to be going through all this. And then it's also like the talk Public. of the town is, is it's, it's so invasive. I, it wasn't, it was the talk of the town also because I was public. Everything in our community, when it's trauma like that, becomes the talk of the town. But well, I was Jews already like public. To talk about other Jews. But I was already public. So it was already like literally yeah. I had just gone on my Instagram saying I'm about to light up my stories from the party. I had the best night ever to going on my stories saying my team was just in a serious car accident and out of respect, like until further notice, I'm going offline. Um, it was my birthday. So people are wishing me happy birthday. It was Hanukkah. I had to fly back to my kids, pretend I'm like a normal mom and go to Hanukkah celebrations while crying on the floor of like the Fifth Avenue synagogue, literally in the floor of the vestibule crying on the floor. A couple of important things. Number one, there's a lot of people that when serious trauma or things happen to them and they think it's the end of their life, that life is over, and they somehow move forward and they check into therapy just like you did and they realize that you know, there's a silver lining there that they realize that they can become. I know many people like this. It's happened to me. It's happened to multiple friends that I know of where that becomes the silver lining of their life where they get a chance to work on so many things and become so much more healthy people and heal themselves from so many things they never would have other, otherwise uh, looked into unless that trauma happened. Now, that's not to say that we should all want serious trauma to happen to us, but to anyone that is going through something, maybe that's that could be a message that what's happening to you right now is Gamzulatova, so to speak. It's for the best. So I have a painting downstairs that says Blessing in Disguise, this painting over here. This was originally a painting inspired by the car accident. Life is precious. Appreciate every moment. I actually am very grateful for my traumas because they're specifically the reasons I have such big dreams. They're specifically the reasons that I actually think I appreciate life more than most people do. Um, I think that a lot of people spend time worrying about silly things, what bag they're carrying, what car they're driving, talking about other people, gossiping. Um, I don't spend any time doing that, really. Um, And I think, I know that a Chanel bag on your arm means absolutely nothing. Um, Ironically, I design bags, but I I really say I sell inspiration. Um, I sell a vibe. I sell an energy. Um, I think that I actually get so much more out of life. I appreciate life so much more. I don't take it for granted. And I chase faster than 99.8% of people who like are like, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, because um, I know one, you can die in two minutes from now, if you never know, it's all in God's control. Um, but I actually think I have a much fuller and more meaningful um, life 
like filled with real values, like substance because of uh, my traumas and specifically that car accident. Um, that car accident was so traumatic visually, mentally, emotionally, financially, on so many levels that the world will never know. Um, so many intricacies that happened um, that I really think that's what's going to catapult me to where I want to be. Right. Um, awesome. Can you give, I mean, how, obviously this is like you've experienced real, real loss and grief. It's clear, right? Could you give a little, some tips, some understanding to people about how you got through that? Like, what did you learn and how did you get through it? In the moment, how did you get through it and what did you come away learning from that? I'm not going to go into such crazy detail, details as to the circumstance because it was traumatic. But like, I went from this scene of like, my, my grief counselor described it to me from a high, high to a low, low from like one of the biggest celebrations of my career with my team at my, at my birthday party, my first art puzzle to literally like 10 minutes after they left um, to being hit by a car. I, I pretty much like, I didn't black down, not from alcohol. I was actually sober. Um, uh, I showed up at the scene of the car trying to, I filmed the whole thing, trying to assess what had happened. One assistant had been taken to one trauma unit the other the other one watched my assistant get his brain drilled into right in front of my face no joke then having to, to go straight from there to my children to be a mom while everyone's wishing me a happy birthday I'm like what the fuck is going on I realized that I was super fucked up when I got home to New York and I saw my kids in bed and I had no emotion for them and my kids were my everything I realized I was messed up you were dead and inside because yeah. that's that's your body like dampening emotions because it can't deal with how strong they are completely dead and I had a grief counselor reach out to me on Instagram thank god Debbie Mizrahi saved my life shout out okay shout out youth plug she said yeah saved my life she doesn't even care for plugs that's a thing she just cares about what she does she's a therapist a grief grief counselor counselor. specifically um she specializes in suicide rape um so actually she reached out offering me three free free sessions and then I actually started seeing her like five to seven hours a week. I, in the beginning, needed to be babysat by by my friend's family. So literally, I didn't jump off my balcony. Um, I was in a bad place and I still had to figure out how to make money, how to be a mom, how to be a businesswoman, how to pick up the pieces of everything that just got pulled under me, deal with like one assistant was still alive but had problems. I don't even want to talk about it. But um, that grief counseling actually saved my life because After I dealt with the initial PTSD of whatever the freak happened from that car accident, you know, throughout the course of that work, I brought up my daddy issues, my abandonment issues. I actually also was sexually assaulted when I was younger. I was raped when I was younger. I never dealt with it. I thought I got out unscathed. She kind of made me realize I didn't um, based on certain behaviors that I was exhibiting. And she taught me a lot about learned behaviors that you learn during your, you know, fundamental years, during your formative years as a child, especially like 10 to 20, very formative years, yeah. very uh, non-traditional, I, I'd say, high school experience, bullied, I was super popular, girls didn't like me. Interesting experience. She made me realize it really wasn't normal, helped me heal a lot, a lot. And then, but again, I had to do the work and the work was a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of freaking money. Instead of spending money on stupid things that don't matter, I invested about a hundred grand into therapy when I really didn't have money. Every disposable dollar I put into therapy. Um, 
And uh, I'm really grateful for all that. I love that message though, because like some people, if they if they make a bag in their lives and they get some money, it's like you could you could spring for the sports car, and there's nothing wrong with it. But if you if you spend that money on therapy and good therapy, uh, that that gift might give a lot more in the future. Wow, that's crazy. That's, I mean, so I mean, you you by the way, you really trauma dump or whatever whatever you dump <laughs> content like every single thing there's a hundred things that could respond to in and of itself yeah. um i want to go back to the art for a second the business side of things um it sounds like once you started painting you right away went it was simultaneous with the business side of things is there anything you could teach i just want to know for all the female entrepreneurs out there because i think female entrepreneurs have they've definitely voiced they have a little bit more of a difficult time in their you know in their respect than the male entrepreneurs they feel it's more difficult very possibly it, it is. I'm not a female, so I can't really talk to it. I'm curious how you see that, A, and B, what tips you could give to female entrepreneurs, male entrepreneurs as well, but just, you know, people starting out. I think all entrepreneurs, I didn't do it this way. I do it, did it through sheer necessity and tenacity and resilience. Um, I wish I had been a little more structured and research-oriented in the beginning. Um, again, my career happened by accident, so I didn't know it was going to happen. I wish I had kind of put proper structure in place legally from an LLC to an accountant, bank accounts, keeping track of the books because having to go backwards and like put order to that is a big pain in the ass. Um, I wish I had mentors from the beginning. I learned by making a lot of mistakes. Um, if you're going to find mentors, usually mentors worthwhile are very busy. You need to see how you can be a valuable asset to them, how you can help their life so they're going to give you even an inkling to help you so um, you did have you had mentors in the entrepreneurial space or art mentors also um i have business mentors no mm -hmm. one i really work with is in art okay? okay i was a painter when i left i knew i needed to go into consumer product i had when i was my only business experience prior to leaving my marriage and kind of starting priv and working unofficially for them was in college i was an intern during like for a fashion company um, for a wholesale brand, and I wanted to apply that same uh, business model to tabletop, basically, to dishes. That's what I loved. I had a vision. I was working on a plan. By the way, start with the numbers. Every entrepreneur, don't start with your vision. Do not start with your creative. Uh, if, you're, if you have creative and you have a vision, okay, that's there, but look at the numbers. Explain look at that. your cogs. Explain that. You might have a vision and you want to do something, but if the numbers don't make sense, you're going to not, gonna not make it. money, right. <laughs> okay? Mm -hmm. Start with a financial model, which you might have to outsource and pay somebody, right? Delegate and pay for the things that you're not the best at um, in order to make sure that it's a viable um, business model. And that's not something I did. That's something that I'm doing now. Everything always was asked backwards. Um, so yes, yeah, start with your financial models. Here's my question, <laughs> Here's my question though. People want to do what they're extremely passionate about, right? Especially entrepreneurs. If you become the best in whatever it is in the world, there's a financial model that will make sense in the thing that you're passionate about. Do you agree with that first of all or not? No. See, <laughs> why, there, why do you you're reverse engineering. No. Just figure out what you want to do. You, you, can you need to know your creative passion, obviously, what you want to do. But then put it into a business plan first. See if it makes sense. What's your sourcing? What are your costs of goods? What's your retail price, right? Because you can have a vision. And again, if you have a vision to make this painting and sell it for $1,000, but it's costing you $2,000 to make because you're yeah, labor obviously. on your... Okay. But you have to build a financial model. And again... I mean, build a painting that's worth 
3500 then. Uh, that's the way I see it. Become good enough that your paintings were 3500 Yeah, but I, in the beginning, wasn't even counting how many hours right. were going into yeah. the painting, right? I was yeah, like, yeah. oh my God, I can paint. Ha ha, right. this is so cool. Right. I want to I ask a few questions now about, about your art, especially because I'm in a room filled with it. And um, right right now, art is what's on my mind. It's, you've talked a lot about um, interior design or, or, or um, home goods and table, like you said, table, countertop, tabletop, what'd you call it? Tabletop. Tabletop. But I'm, I'm seeing the art, and it sounds like you're, in your previous life, before all of this, you were, I mean, in your own words, you said you were a Jewish American princess, you were living the, you were the housewife. And so where did the, when you first started this, it sounds like you were, you were aiming more for doing like home goods and stuff like that, and then you started painting. Opposite. No, so opposite. I, started, I started painting. I said, okay, I'm never going to make enough money as an artist. Like at the time I was selling my paintings for two grand. Now I'm selling paintings for $30,000. Okay. But still it's not scalable. Right. Um, so when I left, I said, I need to go into consumer product. I need to translate okay, my so creativity. Right. Yeah. Started with painting. But where did the painting come from? Like what? what? Hashem. Shamaim. No, literally. Shamaim. Like literally, like you're you're going through all this trauma, you're recently divorced, you need money. Most God. people, I'm not crazy here, most people would say, Huh, I need to make a lot of money. I know what'll work. Painting. Like that is not what we So actually I thought I was my plan, my mm -hmm. vision when I realized I need to make money was to become a chef. Um oh. I wanted to do like basically what I did for myself, but for other people, private dinner parties, you know. 20 people, gorgeous table, delicious food, sure. good vibes. And that's what I was in my head conjuring. And then uh, my art just happened. Like I literally painted, put it on my Instagram in my son's nursery, got a DM saying, hey, I love your art. I just moved. Could you make me something? And I said a little bit. Is that literally how it started? Yeah. You just posted, like you had no plans that's, of selling art. You made a painting. One, three that's paintings, all it, yeah. That's all it takes, Crazy. right? One person to be like, I like what you do and I'm willing to spend money on it. And it gets the, the gears rolling. I mean, that's not all it takes. It takes a lot of tenacity and being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fucking knock yeah. on every single door until I make it happen. I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> mean to something? minimize that. I meant that's what it takes to get the ball rolling. Uh, I want to yeah. say something, and I'm, I'm curious what you think about this. And it's going to be a controversial take, so buckle up, everyone. But I have a belief, right? A lot of women say that it's it's extremely difficult. Um, as a female entrepreneur, it's, it's much more difficult than a male entrepreneur. And I'm not saying... It's that, true. That's, it's a fact. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> hang on. Slow down. I'm not saying that that's not true and that doesn't have any truth, but I do think that there's also a piece to it that I don't think women fully understand, and this goes for myself from my own experience, how difficult it is, period, to become uber success, to become successful in life, ground up. I think, listen, I spent seven years not making a dollar, banging down every single door to make a dollar. I know a lot of people that I'm close with that did the same. It's really, really difficult to start with nothing. I'm talking about zero dollars, no money, and become something successful. I wonder if you think that there's any truth to that. Some people just give up. I know a lot of guys that give up also. But. Well, the people who are successful are the ones who don't give up, right? Like, faith, what's that Winston Churchill quote? Faith. Success faith. is when persistence faith. and opportunity. No, no faith, faith is not. favors the... Uh, uh, failure is not final, fatal, no. something. It's Anyway, you only yeah. fail if you've given up, right? So I right. think that uh, irrespective of gender, um, you will not become successful unless you're born with a silver spoon, unless you are tenacious, resilient, have a thick skin, work harder than everybody else, you're not going to become successful doing a nine to five. That's not a thing. Okay. Um, well, you can be successful enough. Different people have different I, versions of success. I, okay. So I'm going to, you're not going to be financially successful if you're working a nine to five. Okay. I don't know. It's, you're I not. strongly disagree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know a single person that is financially 
successful who works nine to five. Success not is a, a relative lawyer. term. I'm saying financially. No, financial money. success is a is a is a relative, relative term. term. It also okay. depends what you call financial success. How much that, money are you thinking? That's what I'm saying. She's it, referring it, to real money. She's talking about a half a million to a million bucks, probably a year. Easily, at least. Right, at least. <laughs> well, I'm saying that is I'm a just, relative term. No, I'm just saying. Okay. I assume yeah. that's there are some people who work a nine to five and they and they do something. You know. Okay. To be clear, my art assistants—they work nine to five, ten to six. They get paid. They're happy. That's the thing. Yeah. Every everyone defines happiness for themselves. Mm -hmm. Some people, money is not what makes them happy. Um, okay, that's a fact. And money is not one of the only things that makes me happy, but it's definitely important to me. I'm not going to pretend. No. I know exactly who I am and I'm willing to work for it. Um, everyone has their own desires. I don't uh, judge anyone's desires. Everybody should do exactly what they want in their life. That's a firm belief I have. Okay. Right. So this is, I'm just talking about myself, 100%. right? So people who are making real big fat checks because I want to fly business class around the world and travel because that is what I love. Okay. They need to work more than nine to five. They also need to get comfortable with people turning them down, saying no, speaking down to them, putting them down. They need to humble themselves um, in regards to men versus women. So I think men and women both need to work equally as hard to get started. But I think once you're off the ground, it is a man's world, by the way. Fact of life, okay? It's easier it's to raise debatable. capital. Okay. No, it's, it's Maybe. statistically proven that a male dollar for a female dollar the same exact position is not the same i just did my i just went in january to try my first capital raise which i was successfully doing and then stopped it and i'm going to start doing my a raise within the next few months um there was too much going on at the time i couldn't think clearly and that required my full attention but do you, do you think a male uh, artist would have an easier time raising than you do in your field in, as an artist I don't, I'm not I, talking I'd about an shocked. artist. I'd be I'm not shocked. Talking, Why not? Uh, because I'm, you know, you're classifying me as an artist, but really I'm an are. artist and I'm a designer. That's the what, thing. As a designer, do you think a male designer would have an easier time raising money than you? Yes. I. Okay. Yes. I'm not going to say anything. It's I have the a boys' heart. club. It's a fact. It's a fact that you are women, a badass artist with badass designs. Uh, you have you have license deals with a tremendous amount of companies. I don't know why you think it would be that much easier for okay, a male to Okay, so do I am telling you that when I went on my capital raise and I was surrounded by the boys club, I experienced how I was being spoken to and treated. And I roll with it because I don't have an ego. I don't give a fuck. I just have an agenda and getting done what I want to get done. Okay, so they can take their big, fat, machismo egos and I can well, play them a, on the violin. Hold on. They might be a bunch okay. of fucking losers. I'm not no, saying No, they're, they're not, not losers. That's the thing. And they were perfectly nice. I mean, That's the they were. thing. <laughs> they are perfectly nice. This is just a man's world. Okay, the world of venture capital, private equity. It's the boys club. Okay, Here. so Why do you think I don't that is? take it personally. The thing you. is- why do you think that is, though? History, just like how right. the world was. I don't take it personally. What women need to learn is how to play that, right? Because that, that is this, that's the reality. So you need to learn how to play that like a fucking fiddle. And if sometimes that means humbling yourself and, and, and letting them feel more powerful or smarter mm -hmm. or experience whatever, just like smile, <laughs> Until you get the check, yes, you're all right. Oh my god! So that's my question. Do you feel that victimizing yourself helps women in the situation? I didn't say I victimized my place. No, I'm myself. not talking about you. I fucking mentally oh, manipulated that you did. motherfucker. You did. You did. You did. I agree with you. I'm asking for the other women that give up. Don't give up. And, By the and, way, and, and men don't bad. give up either. 
and feel bad and walk away from it and just sit there and complain about well, it. Well, here's the thing. Complain. You need you to have do. a thick skin. I have a thick skin because I went through a lot of life. But I have a right. friend. She's the sweetheart, but she she's an artist and she wants to get her name out there. And she said, oh, I reached out to him. He said no. And I'm like, okay, and? So go on to the next. There you Don't go. take it personally. And so they said, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the right opportunity for you. God closed that door for a reason and uh, move on. That's and exactly don't what I just said, by the way, if you, before. Not like, not that I, it's not that I told you so that I'm saying. I'm saying that a lot of people give up, not just women, men for sure give up. And I think men honestly do have a little bit of a more, I'm not going to give up stubborn personality than a lot of women. They're just, it's just what it is in my opinion. They, for whatever reason, are just more aggressive or whatever. Say, fuck you to whoever and just go on to the next thing. But I think not giving up is a huge, huge aspect in this. Well, the thing is, you have to understand, so men can be aggressive, but an aggressive woman is very threatening to the male ego, okay? Very threatening. So actually, in a business environment, you don't want to be always, there's that careful balance of being that alpha and beta, because alpha men will find a very alpha woman too threatening to their egos and not give them what they want. They're intimidated. Yeah. So you need From to find a balance. what I've heard, there's like little subtle ways in which like women showing the exact same like sort of badassery and aggressiveness in business or in other factors get talked about very differently from the way men. It can be complimentary to men and it can be I'm not like, saying that anything you're saying isn't true. I'm just saying at the end of the day, I do think that if, you know, at the end of the day, I think if women ultimately don't give a fuck and they uh, and they're, they play the badass game and they do, I think they will be successful. I, regardless to whatever any, any guy has to say, talent ultimately wins. And I think if, just like in your case, it's, you don't give a shit. It's not just ta- no; it's tenacity wins. Whatever. Talent hey, doesn't talent, win. Tenacity. tenacity. It's all this, I'm referring well, to. That. Can you describe tenacity? Like just grit. Tenacity is is that grit? Is, is resilience. It's resilience. not ta- like it's not stopping. Not it's taking not... no for an answer. Have, have you gotten a lot of no's in this no, journey? Not, what are you kidding? All the like time I get no's. Yes. What do you think? I no's for every twenty no's for every yes. Of course. Mm, okay. Twenty no's for every yes. It's not a to me. I'm not an on most people cannot handle rejection. That's why it's I. It's an ego thing. That's why I don't like the. I don't know. It's my personal thing. I don't like that whole. I think a lot of people just give up. And I, I think that's where a lot, a big part of this comes from. It's my honest belief. Very and lack of success in entrepreneurship. Well, most businesses fail within the first five years of right, starting. Yeah. And it's because they are not tenacious enough. Yeah. Um, tenacious, indeed. Um, <laughs> okay. I, no, you go ahead, Jose. Okay. Switching the conversation a little bit. I will, now I want to talk about the actual content of your art. I'm seeing it does would you say that the room I'm sitting in right now for those of us who can't see on camera we are literally surrounded by like a swath of her arts I don't know if that that made no sense what are I these said. chairs sorry to interrupt are these chairs your art yes these are actually so these chairs are a licensing deal with the largest manufacturer of desk actually office furniture in the United States the Raynor group these are currently for sale on OfficeDepot.com, OfficeMax.com, Staples.com. I'm taking one home Pray with me. for me I'm to get tra- them into retail, please, because that can change my life. Hashem, please. Um, but yes, my artwork translating onto different products, wallpaper, um, custom light sh- custom uh, shades, blackout shades, uh, desks, chairs, all sorts of things, rugs, tile, etc. What I was going to ask was just simply, is the room I'm in a good, what's the word I'm looking for? Representation. A representation of the sort of art you do. Because there's a bunch of different styles no. here. It's uh, not. There's a lot more, actually. I do many styles. There aren't so many butterflies. I do geometric abstractions. I have a whole butterfly series. 
I do this photo series where I paint photos so I can really paint anything. Um, I have quote series. I paint anything from landscapes to animals to foliage to florals to okay. um, pictures in St. Bart's to your favorite car, your favorite watch, can your I favorite child. Can I point out a few things that I'm noticing that Tell seem me. to be Elizabeth Sutton motifs? Um, first of all, bright colors. Um, definitely butterflies, bright colors, but also it's all it's almost all pop art. It actually, I think it is all pop. Consider, it yes. is all pop, and it's all cell shaded. Cell shaded. It's a certain type of. It's a, a word from back from like when I was into video games. It's it's the certain. It's the, it's the type of illustration. I know, I know what you're saying. It's you get like. So um, I do have one it's a certain stylized sort of. Um, geometric. Right, yeah, even with the paints that aren't just geometric, it's like similar this. to someone else that I've seen. He's in Miami. I forgot his name. Not Alec Monopoly. There's another company. Wow. He's killing it, though. Alec is a G. Well, he's he in, the, a he's in the celebrity world, so it's a whole different thing. He's it's not even his art; it's the celebrity. I wish stuff. I had I the language. He goes to... out and likes yeah. to party, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm a, a gr- single mom of two. I gr- like to work <laughs> on my laptop till midnight. I think if I partied more, I probably would uh, have been more successful already. <laughs> no, but there's someone else. I forgot who it is. I'm I'm blanking on it. That but... part of entrepreneurship, I feel like I'd be very good at. I, I'm I can not hang. good at that I part. Can hang. <laughs> I cannot we're hang. Getting, we're getting to that part of things. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just I'm wondering what 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 why why these sort of things inspire you. Seem to be inspired very much by like. Um, so I yeah, personally what, what love color. I love bold colors. So the reason why this is not a good representation of my work is because I am actually a specialist in all palettes, whether it's completely beige, completely grayscale, navy scale, green scale, doesn't matter. Mm. I really like to deliver. Most of my work at this point is custom commissions for clients. So I like to deliver to my clients um, artwork that makes them feel good, that gives them positive energy. And for a lot of people, that might be all beige, right? So I try to understand my clients' needs and deliver them that. For me, I love bold color. I had a lot of darkness in my life. And uh, I think that color is energy. Color is life. Um, the messages you surround yourself are very with are very impactful. Um, and I started surrounding myself with a lot of positivity, good energy, phrases, quotes that I needed to remember. Half of my career is me painting things and, you know, good memories that I just need to surround myself with so I could get out of that dark place. If I may, I could just read off words I'm seeing in this room right now. Art heals all wounds. Life is fucking complicated, you know? Um, what does this say? Like richest at my poorest, poorest at my richest. Interesting. So I, I, I was the happiest when I had the least money, mm. and I was the least happy when I had the most money. So you're the least happy now? No, the most happy. <laughs> uh, this is this is back when I got divorced, but I still don't <laughs> so have the you, most money I ever had. But again, it was more don't? like a. No, I don't. Damn I will it. though. Where did you come from? I will though. <laughs> um, but again, it was more like people think that money makes you happy, and it mm. straight up doesn't. No, it, really it helps. Doesn't. It helps. I think it maybe doesn't I'm help you be happy. I'm telling you that it doesn't make you happy. happy. I had a lot of money and I wasn't it happy. It makes your life easier. Yes. Yes, but it might be easier. Okay, let, now good. let me tell you the flip side. Sure. I had a lot of money. Sure. And it was a ba- and I realized and I knew I was unhappy, but the money was a band aid on my unhappiness, so I stayed for longer than I should have. Okay. Ooh. Okay. You stayed in a bad situation because there was money there. And you, I didn't realize that 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 was one of the things pushing me to stay, but I was wasting my happiness because I wasn't happy. So what's a lot of money if you're not happy on the inside? Okay, so, so it can really actually be a, a bad blinder. For and sure. a, You know, I know a lot of trust fund kids who were never encouraged to work because they had a lot of money. They were never motivated. And what do they make of themselves? Nothing. They fucking do drugs. Yeah, money also, 
it's very hard to work on yourself when you have money. Maybe that's what happened to me. <laughs> but um, because of the fact that money's, yeah, money's a blinder, like you said. It's very hard to look in the mirror and say, hey, I have an issue when you have well, a you, fuck when ton you're of money in your bank account. But you're like, yeah. oh, well, I'm successful. Who could tell me what to do? I I figured out everything in life. I think celebrity I works the same way. It's why sure. a lot of celebrities act like toddlers is because actually the second you, be, someone, someone put it really well, the second you become famous, your your maturity freezes right there. And so especially it's why child actors don't do well in life is because their emotional growth stops the second they're famous. It's, well, it's hard to look in the mirror and say there's a problem with me when yeah. you're the top. That's an overgeneralization. But I also think it's like based on the individual. So right? true. Yeah. Um, I agree with you a million percent. It is based on the individual. I work on myself all the time. And I have a lot. <laughs> 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 no, but seriously, here's, I have a quick question for you. Is this a normal... By the way, I, first of all, I love your art. I love the design. It's so, it's so up my alley, and I actually want to talk to you. I love, first of all, that picture is sick. You know, Look it's a that very, picture. very famous picture. Not Geo, yeah. Afghani girl. Yeah, that's the like most the, the most famous photos, photographs of all time. I'm yeah. glad I have good taste because I'm just looking at it. I'm like, <laughs> that is sick. Yeah. But either way, the eyes are really good. The whole, really? Yeah, oh my God. Those blue eyes. Anyways, um, I don't want to get too carried away. But <laughs> here's my question My question is, is this a normal thing to be in like a thousand different dimensions of art? Like, you're not just paintings. You're like consumer products, so, tabletop stuff. So the about. way that my career got so diversified. So currently right now I have fine art and prints. I have products I manufacture and distribute myself. My clutches, which I need to grow distribution. I launched that right before COVID. Talk about timing. And belts, um, right? Clutches, belts, bags. What are clutches? Like, like evening bags. Evening bags. Oh. And then um, I have a number of licensing deals. And the reason why my career got so scattered and let's just call it diversified is because that car accident really fucked me mm. up. I was working on one thing. The car accident happened. I was a mess. I I basically coped through that accident through achieving things, but there was no um, cohesive strategy to what I was achieving. I scored my first licensing deal. I realized that that could be a viable way to both grow my name and make money. Um, and after that, I said, okay, I'm a, I, my real talent is that I'm a very prolific designer, whereas... Certain people can only design one medium. They can design cars. They can design furniture. I can literally design anything. I'm an expert at scale, patterning, balance, texture, composition, and also color car. contrast. Mm -hmm. And so I just see the product and I understand, okay, a 50% increase in the scale is going to make or break that product from a visual perspective. Mm. And um, most designers are not able to do that. And so I realized that licensing was a really good route for me because if I was able to, if I could somehow manage to get 20 deals a year, I could whip out 20 collections a year. And that is a lot more, that's a, that has a lot higher ROI on my time, right? Return of investment on my time. Even if I'm selling a painting for $30,000, that painting took me 400 hours. So calculate that, right? And we're you not making a lot a of money per hour. Yeah. Right? I, I, can you say that again? Because I don't think people realize how much effort goes into these paintings. 400 hours. This painting it's will about, have taken I mean, 400 that's, hours. That's a lot of time. So anywhere from so. 40 to 400 hours. No, but people don't realize it, right? Like there are four people. Now I'm in the studio and we have these recording, but I sent three artist assistants downstairs to work in my living room that there have been four people on this painting every single day for a month and a half. Okay, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Take it back a second. Other people are working on the paintings with you. Absolutely. This is, okay, so this is the part of why I immediately thought of Andy Warhol. The factory, like, This yes. is a factory. Meaning you're almost like 
you're coming up with the idea for the painting, but then you have a team who helps execute 100%. And are you interested at all in mass produced? Like, yeah, I even so, I still can't mass produce it because there there's a step to all my artworks that you can't replace me. So there's only so much of it I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the biggest artists now, Jeff Koons, um, Koons yeah. Hearst, they don't. Koons doesn't do any of his own I art. I hate her so much. I'm sorry, but I, I He's a can't genius. I don't hate him at all. Barbie, he's a genius. Koons, he, I like. They, neither of them do their own art, okay? You know, well, Koons Keith Haring, I didn't say they didn't conceptualize their own mm, art. Sorry. They don't create their own art. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I painted all day long. You might, know, right you might know Koons. Because I don't know anything what you guys are talking about. No, you've seen Jeff Koons. Talk about this For like sure. the NBA. Balloons, giant giant the balloon shiny. dogs. They're like made out of shiny plastic. They're They're everywhere. Every museum in goddamn earth has them. I haven't been to a museum anytime. <laughs> you have to know. For me, that's about. a shame. That's no, a shame. So I, for me, it's not a shame. I'm not a museum guy. It's just not a way. Art will change your life, I'm telling you. No, I love art. I'm, I'm sitting here and enjoying it. But if you know me, I don't sit still for a second. I want to walk. Label. There are there are places in New York that are like this room, only much bigger, and it's free. You can just walk in and walk around. I'm doing it right here. This is cool. Um, By the way, this is the coolest. You don't get this in New York. At the Met, you're getting some like old school art that's carefully curated. This energy, where it's like in your face. Yes. That's not. What I you're feel getting. like I'm, I'm in an apocalypse. Met fan. Just, I'm just. Surrounded by bright colors and like cool things. That's the apocalypse to you? Maybe the, I mean, it's the wrong word, but no, I, yeah, I'm gonna call word. it utopia. You're right, utopia. Whatever the hell you want to call it, this is cool. This Gun is cool. Um, Here's my questioning though. So, do your kids, you have a girl, right? And a boy, boy and a girl. Yeah. Boy and girl. Um, do your kids, are they, did you get them into art as well? Are they natural? My daughter is hyper creative. She literally was born strapped in a baby papoose to my chest and like with me painting and her dangling body over my art she is so creative it's insane um, my son is more interested in sports and math and history and geography um i encourage i say she's gonna one day cross elizabeth off of my name and write in the norison collection and mira will be the cfo but really i want them to do specifically what makes them happy not what makes me happy right like mislabeled let them be outside the box and do them whatever makes them happy um I think my kids definitely take for granted all the creativity that they live around. They don't even realize it's not normal. Right. Um, what, they don't go to their friends' houses and realize, oh, your your mom it doesn't like have a team of people working on paintings? So. <laughs> I don't think they realize. Do you think, so it sounds like you think she's going to be like next level talented, like probably do something like this as well. Honestly, it's foo, it's foo, it's foo for all the problems or challenges, not problems, for all the challenges, for all the blessings God gave me in my life. Um, he really blessed me with my children. Um, they're kind, sweet, intelligent, beautiful. It's foo foo. Um, my daughter has so much personality and so much talent. Um, I, I do think she's actually going to be a designer. My son has a photographic memory. If he's turning eight, if you speak to him, you're going to feel like you're talking to a 40 year old. I kid you not. Um, and whatever he decides to do, as long, I tell my kids, as long as they do their best, they're winners. That's really nice because I know a couple 40-year-olds that I feel like I'm speaking to an 8-year-old. So. <laughs> you can talk to my son. You'll be like, the F? Literally. Good, good. I, I love like that. that. Do you think it's an important thing for parents to get their kids involved in some sort of art no matter what it is? So mm. I think it's important for parents to be more open and honest with their children. And a lot of people will disagree with me. And I have a crazy parenting style. I'm very... Uh, mature with my kids and keep it real and some people are like oh my god you, you can't them tell like that adults? to your kids to a degree and i will tell you that i get 
more compliments on my kids than anything else. Like my kids will come home from play dates and the parents will tell me, wow, like you have the nicest, sweetest kids. They were so polite. They're so smart. They're so sweet. And I know that not every parent gets that. And I really do think that it's because I have such a close bond with them that I really am open with them. I couldn't hide my life from them. Like my life was falling apart as I was raising them. So I always kept it as real as possible without trying to scare them, but let them know that they have such a privileged life. You know, me growing up, I didn't realize how much privilege I came for, from. Yes, I had trauma, but I also had a lot of privilege and I wasn't even aware of the degree to which I was privileged because everyone around me was privileged. So when that's just your normal, it's hard for you to really appreciate it. And I know my kids are growing up amongst that privilege and wealth and I don't want them to be like me, not realizing that most people in the world don't have that. Um, I try and raise really very grateful children and realize that it doesn't come without hard work. Mm-hmm. Love that. That's amazing. I love that. I think that's very important for everyone to to realize. Yeah. Like, you know, I have a friend of mine, a good story. I have a friend of mine who lives in Lakewood and he's like a super cool guy, not like a, your classic what you think Lakewood is, even though Lakewood has changed. But either way, I always tell him, and we go to him for Lakewood a lot, and I always tell him, I'm like, get the hell out of Lakewood, dude. Just come to the Five Towns or come to the city, whatever. And he says, Label, you don't understand. If I'm ever having a bad week in business, the first only thing I need to do is I walk into shul on a Friday night. I can pick up four new clients. It's like the social network here is so powerful. And people don't realize that most people in the world don't have that opportunity to just step into a shul or a congregation of any sorts and pick up four clients who are each probably extremely wealthy and running successful businesses to just give money over to the next, to give money over to him, you know, and, yeah. and instantly have that boost. So I think that's a beautiful um well, I'm going to be honest. I didn't experience a lot of support from the community. And I think maybe it's because I'm a woman. Okay. When I left, I, you know, the steering community that I was married to did not support me at all. They're a bajillion Syrian real estate developers. Tell me why none of them have come to me to work together. I signed Kyle for projects, the major food group, Mario Carbone. I'm sure there's a lot that hotels. would do it. Not a single one. I guarantee has you come- I can connect you right now with... 10 different real estate Not developers. a single Jewish Did real estate developer. From, first of all, yes, I have. And second of all, they know exactly what I do. And if they want to give me opportunity, they could. You think and they're out to get you? What do you think it is? I think that I'm threatening to, again, I'm specifically speaking about my experience. Right, maybe I'm threatening. Experience. Maybe I left someone important. Who knows? I don't know. They Maybe I'm a female. Liz, okay. Liz. I'm telling you right now, it's Liz, very you different. You are a bad ass artist. I swear. I to- know, Hold but on, I'm telling you my experience with the community. Let me just say one thing: is this is very important. I know a lot of different real estate developers and a lot of different real estate owners. There are a nice handful for sure that would have no freaking problem using your stuff. Zero. I don't know who you're hanging around. I'm not saying all of them would. I'm sure there's a lot. There are a lot of dicks in the world. There's a lot of them. I agree. But there's also a lot of them that are not, that have no problem using your stuff. Your stuff is freaking gorgeous. There's no one that would be like, oh, I'm not using your I'm just being female. honest. I do have a lot of clients who are, you know, Jewish, Jews. but they're not necessarily from the community I come from. They're just not. I'm being- Syrian oh. specifically? It's not just Syrian. Not no, I'm correct. Not right? Like I have some right. clients in that community, but not many. Most of my clients don't, don't asking, fall into that community. What is your current relationship with, with, with like Jewish observance? If, if that's not too personal. I love Judaism. Mm-hmm. I have a strong belief in God. Like a, I talk to God every single day. I wow. pray. I pray my own prayers every single day. Am I reading from the sea door? Absolutely not. I literally You're say prayers. Off. I say prayers with my children every night before bed. Wow. You ask my kids to express gratitude. They start their prayers. 
dear God, thank you for blessing me with our health, our life, our love, or, you know, I, I say prayers every night, kind of personal, but every single night I talk to God. Um, God is the only thing that has never failed me. And right now I'm, I'm needing to really rely a lot on God and learning to trust the universe because I don't have a, a lot of trust with life. I've lost a lot of things, like things that were in front of my face and then psh, pulled out from under me. Um, I, my kids go to Ramaz, okay? So it's a yeshiva, modern orthodox yeshiva. I keep a kosher home. I light Shabbat candles every week with my kids. Do they we, go to a sleepaway camp? Um, so they go to deal and then we travel. Oh, okay. So No, I, um, I, I went, I worked as a counselor at a camp for many years with a lot of Ramaz kids. So no, they're, they get out of the city and actually okay. I'm dating someone European. So he trying to expose, well, now he lives here. He moves here for me, but he did. <laughs> Uh, he lives in Switzerland, <laughs> so I have to figure out that balance. Um, awesome. But I... That's got to feel good. <laughs> I teach my children that to respect all religions. We are obviously proud Jews. I do think that we have tiger blood. A lot of people have tried to take us out, and we are always surviving and thriving, which is why they try and take us out. Um, I do see a lot of beauty to the community, and I see a lot of hypocrisy to the community as well. Um, I don't think that the community is immune of regular things that happen in life, right? They right, just happen more on the DL and people don't talk about them and they pretend that they don't exist. For me, that's a big problem, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I would agree a thousand percent. It's a part of what we it do with this pod. It definitely is accurate. If it's, I don't know how act, meaning, I don't know how extreme it is to the degree that you may claim it. I definitely agree it happens. I wonder if it's more that it happens in the formal uh, community versus or orthodox community versus any other religious community. Um, I do wonder all, that. All, the whole world, it happens everywhere. Right. It's just that the community pretends it doesn't. That's the thing. We're not immune to normal things like homosexuality, okay? For I promise sure. you that we have a lot of homosexuality within the community. People who are not accepted, okay, and who suffer and struggle and who get married and deny exactly who they are their whole lives. What kind of life is that? I agree. It's terrible. Not a great, Not a fantastic but My only one. question is, do you think these things, do you think they happen more in the in the Orthodox community as opposed to Muslim community, no. Catholic community? No, I think they're all the same. I think that think a lot of religions suppress suppress individuality. Yes. I think society in general suppresses individuality. Yes, I think that American society is, while somewhat suppressive, is more individualistic, like the, the American grit. But religious communities are always, always collectivist. They're always more about do everything for you have to fit in you have to do things for the claw for the congregation and that on that is a beautiful thing but it also comes with a lot of Those like pressure and suppression and you need to fit in if you're not x y and z then you're out and that's there there are there's a good side and a bad side to it listen sure. even my family when i when i left my marriage and i started being you know i guess public and speaking vulnerably or you know this is very inappropriate to them they don't like this um, sharing all my dirty laundry with the public, mm -hmm. right? That's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to help people understand that we actually have a lot of shared experiences and if people were only more um, real with it and open, that they'd realize that a lot of people go through the same shit and they're not the only ones struggling and people come out on top. And if you don't talk about it, you're never going to know that. My family took a long time and probably, to be honest, to a degree, still don't accept exactly who I am, what I do. Um, and it was very uh, hurtful for me. Can I just ask one thing? Because I don't fully get it. What exactly did your family not accept when you were first? What were you doing specifically? First and foremost, I got a divorce with a three-week-old. Okay. I had 
strangers, I'm talking proper strangers from the community, people who I spoke to one time in my life calling me and being like, I think you're just hormonal. You just had a baby. I don't think you're thinking straight and this is what you want to do. And I was just like, fucking excuse you. Maybe yeah. you're miserable in your marriage and you don't have to, the balls to leave. I don't know who the fuck you think you are calling me to say that. I don't even know you. Like, like how do you even have the balls to do that? Yeah, of course. That, that's just crazy. I'm saying, okay, what else? Fine. That's There was a lot of that. <laughs> there was a lot of that. No, though. I get that. I'm just saying from your family. Cause like, and then, you, yeah. Well, let me tell you something. When I became divorced, all of a sudden, and I didn't realize this because for me in my head, I was like at my lowest low. It was before the car accident, so I, little did I know. But um, I was shunned. Like people, to them, I now became a threat again because I was single. I could be, I'm hot. I'm not like, I'm sorry, I'm aware. Self-aware, I'm pretty. I guess I was threatening to them. Maybe they thought their husbands were going to flirt with me. Who fucking knows? But I was really struggling and like I was not, being accepted I was not being welcomed I was not being invited to hang out with the parents like oh but it's couples well what the fuck do you want me to do I'm not a couple so I'm not invited right like I'm confused so now my kids not invited because you're all couples in a family and I no longer have a husband so am I less of a family because I'm just confused religious world also seems to be very built for Family, full family units what the fuck does that mean no I I wasn't saying that like a compliment I was saying that not an insult. It's an it's just an observation. Is that like people who are single or divorced, they just have less space in the religious world I, I because do. it's not I accepting. Agree. Look, I, I yeah, because I think they people find it may perhaps maybe a little bit threatening because threatening. like so much of not threatening like threatening like because the whole Ju- Judaism has always thrived on like the family unit and like we people keep trying to kill us. I'm just trying to explain like maybe some of the psychology. I'm not I'm not uh, saying that it's right. But like what that does is we become this like obsessed with like the, the full family unit, full family unit. You know, just, well, I realize that the full family unit that they sell us and they teach us to get married young and you have a family and full family unit. Half those families are miserable, cheating, lying. I hope not so, half. Uh, I would yeah, hope no, not Yeah, no, no. Uh, like I said, I, do you, you think that the, the, do you think that the yeah, Jewish you know, community good. is, okay, so 50, 60% of the world is divorced, right? Do you think... Now, Jews don't get divorced thing. as much. Nope. Do you think that the level of unhappiness is any different or they stay because of the community? I, that is so above my pay grade. Also, answer, who cares? No why is that? I'll ask you a question. Who cares? And the reason why who cares is because it's, it's not about great. whether it's true or not. It's more about what are the values that we hold and whether or not those values are being followed. So if people are following the values that they're we not. believe in. That's the thing. They're so, not so that's, that's following the values. But that's a different discussion. But at least we're religious and try to be firm because of those values. Whether or not people are keeping those to me is, is okay, so they have to keep them. We keep, and everyone would agree. Listen, the last generation had a lot of couples, people that, sh- all the millennials will tell you that half the millennials will say, our parents should have gotten divorced <laughs> and they did it. And they're just miserable. They'll die miserable together. That's right. You, you'll always hear that. And, and I get that. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details on this, but all <laughs> I will say, sad. all yeah. I will say at the end of the day that I, I get that, but that doesn't take away from the beauty, in my opinion, of the family unit. And I don't think it's a, a from thing versus not a from thing or a Jewish thing. So I think you can well, have a family a unit thing. while still being divorced. That's the thing, right? You uh-huh. can still have a family unit while still being divorced. But I will say that yeah. because the community is religious, I, to an ethical perspective, hold them to a higher level when the actual ethics are not aligned with the level of religion, right? Like if you're religious, you are honest. You don't cheat. You don't why, steal. Why do you hold those There's people a to lot- a higher level? They're individual people. 
because they're pretending to be holier than they're pretending to be religious. The the basis fundamental values of Judaism are ethics. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Have respect. Okay. There is a I'm sorry, I'm gonna call it out. There's a lot of that in the community. And to be honest, that is how I woke up. I realized that there was a lot of hypocrisy in the community that existed that I wasn't aware of when I was younger. And then I started to see it. I'm, yeah, I'm not arguing with you even a little bit. I think you're 100% right. My only question to you is why does that change anything? The fact that why don't you focus on the people that are from and doing the right thing? I do, versus, by the way. So, then who cares that there's a bunch of, so I'm saying who cares if they're religious or not? I don't see why that makes a difference. There's a lot of people that aren't religious. I would look at it the same way personally as people that are not religious in any way. There's a lot of good people that are not religious in any, in any way. There's a lot of bad people. Again, I don't think the fact you grew up religious sh should make for a difference. Like the, most people who are religious are just doing it because they just grew up that way. It's not even like a thing to them. They don't even really, like, I don't know well, why. First that of all, you should realize why you live your life a certain way. I think that's part of like maturity and being an adult. But I'm also just saying that the community, instead of pretending it doesn't exist, should address that it exists and try to help it. Not, mm -hmm. not not turn a blind eye to its existence, right? I, I agree. I think we're all in agreement. It. That's 100%. And I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree, agree with that. Listen, I'll be honest. I grew up in a lot of ways. I feel very similar to you. I promise. It may sound like I don't. I'm playing the devil's advocate side. I personally have come out of it looking at a certain way. Um, I don't judge Judaism by the Jews. I have a very uh, clear understanding that just because I lived through a lot of things that I believe were a lot of injustices. It doesn't have any reflection to me on Torah, on God, on any of those things. Um, I've surrounded myself my whole life with great, great people. Like, that's the truth, despite being around a lot of other people in my youth that were very bad people. And I've grown from that. And I just have cho chosen to not bring in that side of the people that are just not good people and not worked on people. And that's it. And I just, I, my job, yeah. So that's how I see it. And I don't think, People are just, I honestly think there's so many people, regardless of race, religion, whatever, they're just not worked on. That's it. I they're agree. Just, they're just lost. Like, I agree, but I think the community needs to do a better job of helping those people instead of turning a blind, turning eye. A blind I agree eye. A million percent. I, I, By I, the way, there's so many in the community that are in power, positions of power that have the exact issue we're talking about. So it's very difficult. It's the blind teaching the blind. You know. Now, at the same time, there's a lot of people that are not the blind and are leading the community. And I think those people have come out, by the way, in recent years. And, and I think, I'm not going to say names, but there are people that are have been brought out in, in the last 10 years, 15 years, that everyone has tremendous, tremendous respect for, for the way that they're leading cult the claw, just for the, right? There are people, I'll just throw out Rabbi Kalish or different people, that have come out very, very, and are very well known, as opposed to just doing the traditional thing that, you know. What there we seems to be a sea change in the, and I, by the way, I've left that world for the most part, but like there, I, I do see a sea change in, in the way that like the Orthodox world is treating some of these things. And hopefully there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And you seem to be someone who's doing that work. And I think it's important work to like talk about things and not let all the stuff get swept under the rug because that is kind of, that has been the MO of the, of the Jewish world for so long to sweep anything not pretty, anything not perfect under the rug. And it's, it's, it's it doesn't up. help you grow. It's nope. it's the ugly sometimes that makes you the best. And I think that the community needs to be better at handling those situations but and embracing them, not just handling them, embracing, embracing them. them as learning moments, mm -hmm. as teaching moments. I also, I just in a perfect world, if you were a rabbi, 
you, you should not be given a rabbi license if you've never been to therapy. In a perfect world. In a perfect world. <laughs> I think you should brilliant. literally not be allowed to have sleep without having been to therapy at least once or twice in your life. <laughs> Whatever. That's just my, my opinion. No, I, Come after me for I that. Mean, uh, but, but in fairness, I'll tell you something else. Yeah. You also should not be able to be a parent without taking a parent <laughs> Or a therapy. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It's yes. I'm saying it's not a focus of rabbis. It's the same it's exact. By the way, everyone leadership. should yeah. be right. in Every That's, single person on this planet should be in therapy. Average go to therapy. <laughs> Therapy and by the way, great. therapy should be cheaper. But yeah. That's, yeah. By the way, by the way for, it's all a my writing views, I've been in therapy 11 years accounting. You spent the 100, I'm ahead uh, of you. No, anyway. I spent 100 <laughs> within, I'd say, like three years. Yeah, you beat me. This you is beat me. insane, okay. by the way. This is a social cause I care so much about is we, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not a well-versed in econ economics person. I'm a dumbass when it comes to that stuff. But someone needs to figure out a way to make healthcare work where we can get therapy for, good therapy for we'll cheaper. This is America. Our healthcare system is Fucked. and the best are very expensive and it's actually sad because there are people who want to help themselves and they don't have access you know therapy is only i can't afford the therapy i want <laughs> i can't afford the therapy i want that's why i don't do it as often as i yeah. would you know and i have circumstances happening in my life now that i was forced to bring therapy back into my life so i can get some you know um insight and resolution to some very important things but it's costing me you know a thousand dollars a month which is not nothing right no. like and i have a lot of bills i have kids i have a team and so i also that's one of the reasons i am so open with my experiences to show people like it, as their own therapy like it's okay to be open it's okay to have gone through trauma there's no reason to be embarrassed by it it's okay to talk about it right like the only way you're ever going to heal it is to talk about it and p.s you and everybody else are going through the same thing. Some people are just more comfortable being vulnerable and other people will never share any of their struggles and they are probably suffering the most. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I, I hear that 100%. And I, I don't think we should get into the capitalism conversation of no, how I'm, healthcare works. Yeah. Um, or, or whether or not it's going to happen. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I'm, Whatever, but that's a longer conversation. Well, maybe that's there could be space for private organizations that help pay for therapy. Oh, for sure. There are a lot. I mean, there are a there lot. Are there a are lot. support groups. Yes. And I've been helped by some of them, but there, there needs to be more and they need to be better funded, in my opinion. You, you work from here, right? Like yes. I'm aware there's like a thousand people, it feels like, in this place. Just everyone How just, many people are in this house right Everyone's now? just... Um, uh, my graphic designer's in Miami, the president of my company, and my head of operations are in Tampa. Um, I have my fine art assistant, Pedro. I have two fine art interns this semester. I have my operations person here, Anna Maria. I have Gavril and Justin, who are all employees. And then I have about um, eight to ten interns per semester. I have my nanny. You're <laughs> saying you a, guys. You're saying a lot of different terms, fine artist, this, that. How did you learn all those terms? Like you start, you didn't know Time. any of them. You didn't go to school. Time. Time. Just like experience the past, you know, five years since the car accident. I learned. And you asked, like, to people getting started. I don't recommend people get started the way I get started, which is don't know anything, don't know how to do shit, learn on mistake, waste a lot of money, waste a lot of time. You know, spend a little more time researching mm -hmm. and doing your due diligence, uh, asking questions. And still you're gonna have to make mistakes and trial and error, but like a little more knowledge would I'm have been good for me. I'm surprised you're saying that in a certain way because you're the type of person, like in a certain way, jumping on things and not waiting around was something you talked about earlier and paralysis by analysis is a real thing for entrepreneurs. And a lot of people, they just think and think and research and research rather than sometimes you just jump no, the hell do in. It. Yeah, you still have to do it. But researching is part of doing it. That's right. what I'm saying. Balance. Don't just do it and make a mistake and lose a lot of money or whatever. Do a little research. Doing the research is doing it. It's just doing like fundamental principles underlying whatever it is that you're doing. Um, 
You know, I wish I knew what a CRM system was when I first yeah. started. Okay. I wish I had started pipelining every single client and pipeline? content I made. I use a uh, close C L O Z E. It's honestly, I use two tools that are my favorite tools that I picked up in the past, like year, year and a half that have changed my life. Uh, close, which is a CRM system that also has AI. So like templates, automated responses, reminders, pipelining tags, you know, so you can really have segmented messaging once you're, you know, connecting that to your newsletter system, whether it's yes. MailChimp, ActiveCampaign, Clavio, it doesn't matter. And I do so many things that the messaging going to a $30,000 fine art client is not the same messaging going to a $300, you know, fashion client. And so Close helps me organize all that. But I didn't even know what a CRM system was, even though I went to business school to, you know, I went, I studied business when I was younger. Um, they probably don't teach you anything there. <laughs> nothing. Zero. I, I learned nothing in school. Um, even though I graduated with like a 3.9 plus. I dropped out. Don't worry. We're in the same. I learned from like the school of hard knocks. But I wish I had known about clothes right. when I was first getting started. Every single entrepreneur should have a CRM system from the day they start. From the day. Okay. okay. For, for those completely uninitiated. Customer, Customer relationship, relationship management. Customer management. Okay. There we go. Okay. So you meet somebody, they're a potential prospect, lead, partner, investor, whatever the tag is. You put their name, email, phone number, certain notes you remember about them for good salesmanship. Like he has a daughter named Hannah who's four years old and, and he was born in San Liz's Francisco. Liz's daughter is very, very uh, talented with art and her son talks like a 40-year-old even though he's eight. Exactly. And the next time you're talking to me, you're going to ask me, how's my son and how's my Correct. daughter? So you are developing that personal connection. Right. But when you meet a thousand people, how are you actually supposed to remember that unless you pipeline it somewhere? So the other tool that I love um, is DocSend. Oh my God, do I love DocSend. Who's it costs that? you 1800 It's a Dropbox. I think it's a Dropbox. It's a Dropbox tool? It's $1,800 a year. It is. Worth every dollar. Closes $60 a month per email address. Also worth every dollar if you're going to use them. Um, but DocSend any draw, any link that you're sending somebody, any deck, any PDF, any anything, it basically protects it so that they have to put your their email in when they're opening it, and then you get a ton of information. How long they stayed on that document. Mm. How, like if you have a 20-page PDF, it'll show you up until what page they read, right? Did they scroll down to page 11 to page 20? Um, oh, wow. It'll close, will tell you when they opened the email from where, desktop, mobile, um, if they clicked on any hyperlinks within the email. So it gives you a lot of data and that gives you like a one-up from a sales perspective, right? Like if I'm waiting on a deal and I haven't heard back and I want to follow up, right? If I know that they're constantly opening my email, I know that they're engaged and I don't need to follow up and look, right. you know, desperate type of thing. If they're still clicking, if they're still opening, I, I let it wait a little longer. If they're not clicking, I follow up. You know, it gives you a lot of insight. And I didn't know about any of those tools that te or technologies when I started. The other catastrophe, deep breaths for this, okay? It's like the biggest point paid. I guess your computer point. broke and you lost everything? No, thank God, no. But okay. but I could, that could have happened. Someone could have hacked my Google Drive until I literally just last week, because I hired a new president who's help, helping me get all this stuff in order, Andy Sheldon. He was second in command at HSN for 15 years. Fucking boss, he's the new president of my company. Finally, someone who I think is really going to take this to the next stratosphere. Um, we put everything on a hard drive, 20 terabyte hard drive. All my IP is on that hard drive because I didn't think about like, okay, could my Google Drive get hacked? 
Yes, if it does, I lose everything I've ever created. So now I have it all on a hard drive, okay? Um, you know, a hard drive isn't like just a physical hard drive, like we have. Like yeah, a yeah, like a paper. physical backup. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't know anything about SOPs. Nothing about SOPs. SOPs What's SOPs? I don't even know what Standard you're operating procedures. Oh. So anything that you do more than once, you should have a spreadsheet with an SOP and it should get tracked there every single time. Exactly what I just told yes. our operations person to do with you. Yes. Every single thing, the repetitively, every week you put out a podcast, the same exact, there's certain, yeah. So you should have an Excel spreadsheet that says the date it was recorded, the name of the episode, the guest, the first name, last name, email, phone number, description of the episode, the picture, their headshot, their bio, the behind the scenes content, the link to the drive yeah. where all the behind the scenes content is, Super right? Organized. SOPs. Yeah, because if you wanna if you wanna scale, that's the only way yeah. to do it. And and every single thing that has to happen before every single episode goes out with check boxes, was this done? What did we release the teaser? Did we at the right time? Every single yeah. thing. Well, if you download clothes, you can save a template for each person that you're going to outreach where it's the same thing. And then you can go in and tweak it a little bit and you just send it out, right? Yeah. CR technologies, right? I wish I just knew no, I did that with about these things. We got to get this episode sponsored by clothes. <laughs> I want, I personally want to be sponsored by clothes because I fucking love them. I recommend them to everybody and it's $60 per email address. So I only have it on my email, but I have 10 other people on my team who I would love to get onto clothes for free. Shout out to Close with a Z. <laughs> it's the best CRM, but I'm, it, it. it gives you more data than other CRMs. Like HubSpot's, first of all, extremely expensive. Salesforce, extremely expensive. Not for, you know, small businesses. Um, and also, it doesn't have as much AI integrated into it. And then you can obviously link your CRM with your newsletter system. So they're all speaking to each other, transferring data. Do you et like Close? I love Close. <laughs> I'm asking. Um, Quick question for you. Um, quick tip on how to uh, manage everything going on. Parent while all this is going on. Businesses, kids. I don't, like, I don't know. Relationship. You have a lot going on. How do I manage it? Uh, yeah. Smoke a joint. I, was, I knew you were <laughs> going to say You know, that. I've never said that publicly. I love This that. is the first time ever. I've uh, FBI, can we <laughs> smoke? Please get her. It's legal. It's just from like a brand perspective. Can we smoke afterwards? Sure. <laughs> we should have, um, by the way, I've been wanting, I'm going to smoke on a pot. I've been telling Zach this. I morning. don't know how good an idea that is. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> now it's sure. legal. Uh, you know what? I think alcohol is so much worse for you. That's my own personal opinion. Like, but how do I manage it? Honestly, okay. I try and take a deep breath. Um, now I feel I have some support for a long time. I felt very alone. Um, now I feel like since hiring the president of my company, Andy Sheldon, back in October, uh, for the first time, I have, I feel like I have someone who's A plus level and who's really risking things himself in order mm -hmm. to jump on this bandwagon because he again. really believes in it. Love it. Um, and I also have a, a boyfriend, you know, this is my longest relationship since I'm divorced. We're together now 15 months. Um, he has definitely encouraged me to be a little more balanced, even though I love the workaholic in me. And he's been gone the past two nights because he's traveling for business and I work till 1130 each night, legit. Um, there is more to life than just work. Um, love, balance, you know, going for brunch on a Saturday. Who knows? I don't know. There are two things to life. There's work <laughs> and there's brunch. There's nothing else. <laughs> no, but love, you know, like I hadn't um, dedicated enough energy to love. Um, and it, it does, you know, relationships take work. They take time. So there are sacrifices in other areas, but I am happy, you know, and I just need to have faith in God that that's going to stay and, and that that's not going to just 
leave my life. And I think that me working on myself and learning to trust the universe again, because I am so jaded and cynical, it's terrible. And I really need to work on myself to trust that all the goodness that God's bringing into my life is going to stay. Because if I doubt it, that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I love Self-fulfilling prophecies are legit. They definitely I, uh, happen. If you don't control your mind, you'll just bring in that energy right into your life. Hashtag okay. therapy. Uh, you mentioned a, a word which triggered a question I want to ask about. You said the word AI. Um, NFTs. AI art. Oh, wow. You're a businesswoman. You're oh, wow. in the you're in the the social media space, and you're an artist. We have to talk about that. We NFTs. went there. Okay. I did. Well, I also saw that you commissioned a work that seemed to be almost a deconstructed NFT. No, someone commissioned an artwork of an NFT. That's what I meant. Yes. So, but you made it. Yeah, I painted yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about that. So NFTs. So first and foremost, I'm going to say that I have so much going on that I, at this moment in time, am not putting too much attention to that space. Although I, to degree, am, which I'll explain. Um, I'm more going the licensing route, um, because I like designing products. I really enjoy it. I like when people are, I love, like nothing makes me happier than seeing someone with my bag or like a kid with my backpack. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. Nothing makes me happier than seeing my tile in a, you know, famous restaurant. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. And it looks beautiful. So for me, that's like from a internal personal perspective, I'm focusing more time on physical um, I just actually really want your opinions on, on NFTs what they, in general. So NFTs, people think that NFTs Label, are digital NFTs artwork. Are? Okay, and not, honestly, not sure. people think that NFTs are digital art. It's not what an NFT is. An NFT is a way of digitally encoding your artwork in order to track it, to track transference of ownership and um, creation and IP. And actually, NFTs, which everyone thinks are digital artworks, is a complete overhaul of the infrastructure underlying the asset class of intellectual property. I don't know if you're following me, but the infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? USPTO.gov, the United States government of patent and trademark offices, um, and how you protect your intellectual property, mm -hmm. IP, intellectual property, yep. music, you know, anything that's a patent, trademark, or a copyright, right? Anything you create. Um, the website to file copyrights online with the government is a dinosaur. It's costly. Most artists don't know how to do it, don't have the money to do it. They, to for a trademark, forget the attorney fees, just the government filing fees per category is upwards of $250, okay? I have my trademark registered in 30 categories, just the government filing fees, think about how much money that adds up to. So NFTs are actually a way of digitally encoding your IP to establish ownership at the time of creation that will then allow you to um, to gather all future data associated with that code. So if you bought a painting from me and it was coded in the blockchain, I've actually done a lot of research into this space because I see a lot of value, but it's not actually in the value of holding the NFT and the access and whatever. It's actually in keeping track, like proper infrastructure of your intellectual property, right? If I sell a limited edition print right now, I give them a certificate of authenticity to verify that it's my print, blah, blah. They keep it in a paper, in a folder, in a safe. They move, they can lose it. The value's gone. We have tracking for everything. We're in a technolo technological mm -hmm. world. Why is that still part of the infrastructure? I'll tell you why. It's because galleries, auction houses, museums, they try and hold you know, strong to that infrastructure, but eventually it's going to completely go away. And 
um, NFTs are and the metaverse are actually a complete overhaul of the infrastructure underlying intellectual property in the past hundred years. The biggest overhaul. It's, it's in the sense that it's it's so secure. You're saying you can't argue you can't think, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, you it's, can't, as, it's in the blockchain. Like crypto, right? It exists. Literally. It's a. It's in. Okay. So this is what I learned. Okay. There's blockchain. Blockchain technology, which is basically, if a company operated completely on a blockchain, every transaction, you'd have a perfectly honest, publicly traded com company, right? Sure. Perfectly honest. Data is in, is perfect, right? Where do we run into friction? It's like a chef. What causes friction? <laughs> friction is caused by imperfect data. Yes. Okay. I'm not your typical artist, by the way, if you can't tell by now. <laughs> so yeah. friction is caused by yes. imperfect data. When we are given imperfect data, we make decisions based on that data. The blockchain makes the the data perfect. If I'm transacting on the blockchain, if I sold you uh, this painting on the blockchain, I can't tell you it was $20,000 when I really charged you fifteen. There is a receipt, yeah. a recording on the blockchain of the transaction. It's the most okay? honest platform you could possibly have. So cryptocurrency was actually the first case study for blockchain technology. It actually wasn't a good case study. Then they had um, decentralized finance. DeFi was the second case study for blockchain technology. The best case study for blockchain technology is NFTs. Uh, guys, if you didn't know, we're, we're taking you into a deep dive into crypto and NFTs. This this episode just went haywire. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I don't even know how the fuck we got here, but I'm we are here. I'm so impressed, though, with your, your very knowledgeableness, um, which I, I guess makes sense. It's her space. But it, no, it doesn't have. There are so many artists. Yeah, but I'm she's legit. For sure, do not know what she's talking. But she's about. legit, so she knows. Well, the if thing is that space, so know. many people were approaching me with NFT opportunities, sure. and I'm like, okay, but what is it? And so I spent right. a lot of time really learning what the space was because, again, I have a lot of opportunities on my table. I'll make money anywhere I put my attention. God willing, God willing, thank you, God. Right. So if I'm putting money into the NFT space, if I'm putting time into the NFT space, that's time I'm taking away from licensing or painting or designing whatever it is I'm doing. So I wasn't just going to dive in, again, research. Yeah. In the beginning, I never researched any of these things. So when NFTs came to be and I was getting approached by so many people, I was like, what is this really? Before I go and be like, yes, no problem. I'll give you digital art. Let's make a quick buck. You know what's funny? The reason why I'm pushing back on your research thing, honestly, not that I disagree with you. What you're saying is 1 billion percent true and as a personal entrepreneur, I, I friendly entrepreneur, whatever, I totally get what you're saying. Absolutely, this podcast is the worst possible investment decision. I mean, I'm not doing it for return on investment. That's the honest truth. But at the same time, I'm the type of dude that once I'm freaking doing it, I want to make it successful from financial space. So I don't want to just burn all in my pocket. I also want to at least make it a wash. With that being said, I do know that if I become good enough and I become famous enough, I can make a fuck ton of money. So that's my drive but my to become point great because the research because is like researching other podcasts and see how they became oh, we famous. Do, we do a lot how of that. Did they monetize? I do a lot of that, but I'll tell you facts. This podcast cost me a lot of money. I understand. If you want if you want to do what make money on this podcast, you gotta be very, very good. You're not gonna just make money. You gotta have a hundred, two hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube to start even getting close to the cost of this particular podcast. We're flying wherever we go. We're flying out different places. Which is why we're here to announce the official mislabeled NFT line. <laughs> we, <laughs> no, got no, no. We, were, we were just in Los Angeles last week between me and you. 
trip cost a quick five. Going to St. Bart's next week. <laughs> we'll see like you there. Cabo. I'm going to Cabo, guys. Yeah. Cabo, one and only Palmia. Is that what we're looking at right now? Is this yes. Cabo? This I is, had no idea what this was. This is a photograph I took at the one and only in Cabo. I have an exhibition there next month. Did I'm you share on that? You were, you were telling me what this is, Could you, where it's going. So this is a custom commission for the one and only Palmia. One and only is one of the most premier hospitality chains in the world. Like my personal best hospitality experience was at their property in the Maldives on my honeymoon. So, and I've, I've been spoiled like before. Island. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds <laughs> like a very good memory like for you. Island. It was. These honeymoon. So for me, it's actually a huge honor to be working with the brands. Like huge, like huge. It's always cool explain. to do work with people you actually respect in their space. Not, they're, they're as good as it gets. Eden Rock was as good as it gets. So I'm actually very grateful. Does she do squats? And me? Do I do no, squats? No, she. That was me. <laughs> oh, that's you? Well, in that case, do you do squats? Wait, you're not blonde, though. I know, because the, the guy who commissioned this work, his girlfriend's blonde, so I made me her. You made you blonde. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be honest with that. Uh, can I say this on the bottom? No, whatever you're thinking, absolutely not. <laughs> that looks like you're doing some serious squats. Good genetics, honestly. <laughs> Good genetics. But, Fantastic. Um, but, like, I can't complain. Like, my job is to literally paint which I love. Like the process is very healing and meditative for me. I'm fl I'm being flown to Cabo with my team to paint live for a week. They put me up in their suites. I saw this, um, you know, like I nerve-wracking to have people watch you in the middle of your work. No, not at all. For, you know, like people talk about the No, it's not hard for me. The thing is, I, that's not pressureful for me. That's the easy. The thing is, for me, cr creating is the easiest thing. That is straight from Shemaim. Straight from Hashem. I did nothing to deserve it, earn it. He gave that to me. It's in my brain. This so is something I've heard other artists say. Yeah, like, it's, they, it's, and they, whether they use the name Hashem, they use the muse, they use the universe. Every artist says, something is channeling through me. It's not really me. My job is just to be, like, open. I not, just, he gave me the talent. Like, it's in my brain. Like, if you give me a design, I'm going to say, oh, my God. And you can give me, like, a visual, and it can be, like, a millimeter off center, I'm going to be like, that's not centered, right? And you would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's perfectly even. But, you know, for me now, my job, part of my job is to go around the world and paint at high-end hospitality venues and engage with their guests and, like, look at beautiful oceans and inspiration. I'm like, you know what? I, I'm really grateful that this is my job because some people sit at a desk and look at a computer all day. Yep. I was going to say, I saw, I think, I saw somewhere. Honestly, when I was first researching you, before I started bothering you, um, you've done like murals in New York. Is that, did I see that I somewhere? I have uh, four uh, vinyl wrap murals in the city, yeah. That's Wall so Street on 84th and 2nd, on uh, 21st between 6th and 7th, on 10th and how, 51st. How big, big are these things? Big, big, like 45 To me, foot, that is the coolest thing. Walls. For me you've personally, done that's 45 cool foot walls in four different places roughly in New York? But they're vinyl wraps, so they weren't hand painted. I painted an hand painted an 8,500 square foot pool deck in Roosevelt Island, which was written up by hey. Art Digest. Art Digest Spain, Time Out New York wrote about it as the second most talked about thing in New York City in the summer of 2019. Do you ever have problems with your vocal cords? Uh, no. You don't? Because I talk so much. You talk very fast. fast and you don't breathe a lot, which is similar to what I do. And I, my doctor said, <laughs> I went to a vocal cord doctor because there was a point in life for like eight months where I was losing my voice. Hey, but what are you talking about? Week. Your voice sounds very healthy. Exactly. Fine. No, everyone talks to me. Do you, do you smoke? Well, I did for 12 years and then I stopped a year ago, but or 10 months, whatever it's been now. Good for you. But thanks. But 
a lot of that he's like you need to breathe in between your words and i don't because i don't shut the fuck up so, my brain thinks very fast so i no speak shit. very fast i i see that and you, we're, we're do you love new york like to me like having your art immortalized in a city like new york city is that's worth like that's yeah. the coolest thing for me that's cool i also think it's cool like i really believe that my art is going to be worth a lot of money like my original paintings one day when um, i'm dead generations inshallah. next my art will be worth a lot of money why do i feel like i can't say anything that i think but you could say all these things that you think about your personal talent i think you were saying all things that you think about your personal talent no i was not i was being hold on one very fucking second i was being very very <laughs> nice and extremely hold up who's i like her she's i'm the one who can say this and actually a full thing I said nothing. All right. Oh, I, I said that we're going to go to the top of this podcast. I, That's not saying I'm anything. I'm going to be honest. I am very confident in my talent. Like, I actually know. And if you Google my work, you can find maybe 10% of all the intellectual property that I've created in my life online. And 90% is trapped in my computer until I figure out a way to monetize it properly so that I don't get it stolen from me before I've made money right. off of it. But my best work is actually trapped in my computer. And it's, for me as an artist, the most frustrating thing ever. You haven't, the world has not even yet experienced what's in my brain. I know I'm a better designer. I don't feel Why arrogant saying that. I don't feel it. arrogant saying that. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Why? You're giving me a license to say everything about myself. So I love it so much. Why can't you release all that 90%? It'll get stolen. And I won't, because if I release it, without releasing it in a way that's making me money, right? I've now given my intellectual property for free. And Why can't you release can it in it. a way that makes you money? Whatever yeah, I'm means. trying to figure out how. I've created a lot of intellectual property, a lot. I was actually gonna wonder, you have some like very classic, like that's an Elizabeth Sutton motif. I'm thinking specifically the butterflies. How many copycat artists have you seen now? Distractions. With I'm actually the first artist in history to start painting a digital artwork called WPAP. Uh, WPAP was a type of um, graphic design that originated in Indonesia. Uh, they used to, they would do only people's faces, certain color palettes. And when I was trying to explore how to, you know, get away from my geometric abstractions and butterflies and apply the same technique that I had taught myself um, to a different, you know, aesthetic, I discovered WPAP. And I'm the first artist, as far as I know, in the world who started painting this style. And then I started getting a bajillion cop copycats. And then I was like, why are they only applying this style of digital art to like faces? Why are they not applying it to like inanimate or animate objects? And then I started painting florals and foliage and, you know, boxing gloves, whatever it was, anything that I was photographing. And as far as I know, I'm one of the only, one of the first digital artists who started um, vectorizing uh, photographs other than just like faces in this style. Um, and I have tons of copycats. Copycat is like the sincerest form of flattery. So whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Wow, wow, Um, Couple of quick questions. We've been going for a while here mm -hmm. and you probably have to get going I also. Do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, know. I know. so bad. Me too. Zach, <laughs> Zach is the piss like a racehorse, clearly. Um, couple of, a couple of quick, quick questions. Uh, first of all, do you ever get cabin fever in this place? Because you work here, you live here. How does that work? You know, I'm such a homebody. Um, my boyfriend is kind of going crazy for me because he wants me to get out more. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I'm like the most introverted extrovert you ever met. I love my work, so I'm happy in it, um, which is kind of antisocial because like I can be in my laptop all night long. 
Um, I've been living in New York my whole life. So like I've already experienced the like partying going out. It's not what I go for now. Um, I love staying home. It's my like safe space. I feel protected there. You know, I got to a place where I would go out in New York and think I had privacy with my best friend at dinner and reveal like talk about like my real Feelings. life, my real stuff that I didn't necessarily put out into the public. And then someone would be like, the table next to me would be like, oh my God, I just want to say I love your work. And I'd be like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Yeah. And so I like being home and uh, my boyfriend doesn't like it. And I understand why. But I have uh, four floors here. You didn't. You, I didn't even give you a tour. I'll give you a tour after this. It's a big place. I have yeah, a backyard. I'm, I think I'm gonna take a video of everything. I, I, if that's okay with yeah, you. Yeah, of course. I have yeah, a backyard. I, I, like, I think maybe we'll even put it in. I've been big... planning which things I'm gonna steal. <laughs> I was gonna ask you also. Would you be willing and kind enough to? I'm sure you have paintings here that you don't care for a ton. Be willing to kind enough to give us one. We'll hang it in our studio. Uh, like likely you. not, don't. but maybe <laughs> we can talk about a print, and maybe we could talk about doing some type of contest. Prince giveaway, clutch giveaway. We'll talk about it. Okay. I'm okay with yeah. that. There's what to be spoken about. Here's how it works. You ask for something big, you get something a little smaller. That's <laughs> By the way, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, I know. hundred <laughs> percent right. Well, I always ask for something big. And then I was can... taught to negotiate by a man who said, if someone tells you it's a hundred dollars, you counter, you'll pay 30. Your goal is to end up at 70. Yep. Of course. Always. Amazing. Um, all right. Favorite I was Jewish... just taught to be negotiated by a woman. <laughs> I'm going to tell people <laughs> I was taught to be negotiated by a woman. Clearly, by the way, clearly there's a man who, who does like you and has no problem mentoring you. That, that must have been a good man. One of the, uh, one of the actually, few. my best mentor is a female mentor, Barry. But what about that guy? That guy helped <laughs> you. Why are you not giving him credit? But the fuck? He, like, I like to say I'm a... That guy's a nice guy. I'm a hot... I'm a... I'm a man trapped in the body of a hot girl. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Something like Absolutely. That. You got you, you got And I'm a hot girl trapped in a in a in a okay looking man. <laughs> but internally hot girl. All day long, baby. That is awesome. That is nice. Okay. Favorite designer slash artist in the Jewish world and outside the Jewish world. Ooh, tough question. Favorite designer currently outside the Jewish world for clothing is Zimmerman. For design, it will forever be Kelly Wurstler. I love her. I'm newly turned on to Ken Funt because he just used my tile at Contessa in Miami. Um, this guy named uh, Reginald Dunlop, so freaking talented, also interior design. Um, favorite Jewish designer? Whew. Is Michelle Gersten Jewish? I think she is. <laughs> Stacey Ayash, she's super talented. My friend Elsa Sawyers, um, Jewish, not religious, but very talented. Um, I really love my friend Lauren Turk. She sells lots of designer uh, clothing, consignment shop. Go check her out, support her. She's not a designer, but she carries lots of designers. Who else in the Jewish community designs? Oh, Gracie Akkad, super talented. Syrian girl, Gracie Akkad, makes wedding dresses. Check her out. I was going to ask you, do you ever do traditional interior design of like homes? I did this home. So I... You know, it's funny. I design the things that interior designers use to design homes. Ultimately, I hope to. I just put in a proposal to a huge hotel to renovate uh, 350 rooms. Pray for me. I already closed the deal. That's how, get it. it's that's how it. I, already I, I already it closed the deal. That's what I'm and by the way, if head. for whatever reason in hell it doesn't close, the next one's going to freaking close. Let's be real. You're getting that. That's done. My dream is to You're actually design a boutique yeah. hotel. It's my dream. To do, to do what? Design a boutique hotel. 
But I feel like you already did that. I was doing something and that's... No, like the whole thing. The whole like thing. The wallpapers, like it's your project. the furniture, the, the lighting, baby. everything. Top, the Elizabeth yep. Sign Hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely going to be in some island somewhere. You know, I actually think it should be in a city. I, mm. I, my vision is in a city and each room is designed like a distant, like a different destination. Ooh. I like that. Very, very cool. Vision. I love that. Um... Okay, so you're not, but you're not doing interior design for homes specifically because I want to give you a huge plug for that. Um, I can, and I do it for my like friends and myself, and I would love to. Um, so yes, you I can do that? with my yes, and what I do you can charge do with my for, eyes closed for a four thousand square foot home. What do you charge? New um, home? Most interior designers charge twenty five to thirty percent of the spend. Uh, the beauty of working with me is if you're sourcing my products, okay, I'm going to charge you less because I'm making money on that too. All right, guys, let's be real. If you're in the firm community, there's a lot of guilt in the five towns. Let's call it what it is. Everyone's building new houses. They're just going up quickly, double lots, the whole nine yards. This woman's a badass. She's going to kill it. Show her also that you don't have a problem working with a woman because I know you don't. So show her that. Not only that, but everyone I know, my brother built multiple houses. He's used women. I don't know, but either one. I'm also you, single. It's different. Like, they take me as threatening. It's not the point. Who cares? No, he's a single girl also. It's not the point. The point is, I, I'm going to show you a video of this entire house before we're done. The house is going to speak for itself. I don't have to say anything. Crazy house. It's insane. I mean, no, the designs. But, like, these. my house is very colorful. Don't think that I don't know how to do grayscale or, like, just white or neutral. Right. I'm literally developing artwork right now for, like, an all-white house. You will tell her what you like, and she will tell. she will show you what you wanted but didn't know you wanted. Facts. And Facts. it's going to give you like energy. I'm going to get out of you like what inspires you and motivates you and then put it into the design. Elements. I love this. By the way, we just got you so much business and I know we did. I don't even have a question. I want to know how many. By the way, please refer that you are reaching out to her because of this podcast. I want to know how many people reach out to you after this podcast. Deal? I'll, I'll cut you in. Okay. You don't have to cut me in. No, take, take I'll everything. give you that artwork behind the, no, behind no, the desk no, 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 that you want. 100%. I was going to ask you something else. See, here's the thing. When people don't like Hakarat Hatol, like, yes, that's part of business, cutting someone in when they're a good referral source. Hello. hundred percent. But here's the thing, okay? I read a quote from you, and I want to end with this. So I read a quote, and I love this quote, okay? Because it goes like this. Call me crazy because I am, but it is my mission to teach young leaders to pursue their dreams and to be fearless in their minds. And I fucking love that. I think that most people um, limit themselves. You know, you're limited based on what you tell yourself and based on the people who you surround yourself with and what they tell you. And if you have people who you surround yourself with who are constantly telling you you can't do things or you shouldn't do this, right? Like you're going to believe that you can't do it. You, if, if you don't believe you can do it, no one else is going to believe you can do it. So you need to really have big fat dreams if that's what you want or not, right? It's up to you. But uh, just take away any pre-existing societal norms that you were taught growing up and just like be who you are as long as you're not harming others. You know, I, I could tell a you, freaking men, and I can tell you, I've heard so many times in my life, this can't be done, that can't be done, and even with Zach, I think he could attest already. So many people are telling us, this can't be done, that can't be done. Us doing the same podcast together can't be done. Whatever, all these different things, you know. Um, and I told Zach all along, like we're going to the top. It's not a question. It's how how are we going to make the connections. Um, and I that that's a refrigerator quote. That's an all time quote for me. Can you please make a painting with that quote? It's right here. Not only that, <laughs> send it to me by the way. Where not only that, that, not only that, it's on. Do you see how I have Dash Elizabeth Sun? Where'd you find that? By Is the that way? not worth a painting? <laughs> Where'd you find that? Was it an interview? It's on an interview. Yes. Okay. Because I did my research at three forty two in the morning or something last night. At three forty five, to be serious, I was up at three o'clock in the morning or something, and I was doing some research on this. 
And one of the, I read one article and it had this writing and I'm like, this is going to be an awesome interview. So outside on a bar. So my quotes, I love painting quotes, but long quotes take a lot of time to paint. Like I painted this quote that I'd been, be true to who you are, blah, blah, blah. Like a commentary after the car accident. Um, and it was a small painting, but it took me so much time that I had to charge a ton of money for it to be worthwhile. Worth, yeah. So I've had a, my favorite quote, which is a John Lennon quote. Um, when I was five years old, um, uh, yeah. I went to, it's, a, it's outside, you law. need to see I, it. I, yeah, I yeah, know the John Lennon quote. I'll tell you what it is right Send now. It to me. I know it's exactly like, what When I was five years old, John, like, yeah, they gave Lennon. us an assignment in school. Well, they told yeah. us to write down what we wanted to be when I, we grew up. Um, I wrote down hap happiness. They told me yes, I didn't understand yes, the yes, assignment. Yes. I told them they didn't understand life. Right. Correct. So for so long, I wanted to paint it, but it's way too long. So I designed a custom bar on glass with galaxy glass and stone, which is sick next level that I installed on my bar outside that I really love. It goes like this before we wrap. It goes, when I was five years old, my mother told me that happiness was the key to life. When I went to school, they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. Grew grow up i wrote down i want to be happy they told me i i didn't they told me i didn't understand the assignment and i told them they didn't understand life sorry i may have butchered that as i was saying over the quote or whatever <laughs> yeah it's I good love, it's a good quote and then he went ahead and dated yoko ono so i don't know how much i can believe. <laughs> it All was right. his soulmate by the way there's like these articles i'm reading like it was his soulmate it's just got him through everything yeah <laughs> unreal okay I really want to give a huge thank you. First of all, for someone as busy as you are with a thousand things, like 18 <laughs> people, we really appreciate it. You've given us what, at least two hours of your time <laughs> yeah. today, which is unbelievable. Yeah, it's fun. And you asked me when we, she asked me when we started, by the way, she's like, oh, how much time is it? I said, listen, it's 45 minutes, but it's up to you. And you've been gracious and kind. And, and really... I feel like I learned a lot, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Really You're inspiring. Cool. Close. Docsend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, never forget clothes. Yeah. And docsend. And NFTs, okay. by the way. If you want to run down NFTs, it's here for you. And uh, never give up on your dreams and be a badass. Um, and yeah, everything. And if you're a woman, don't take no shit from men. Go stand up. Go. Don't give up. That's it. Correct. Yeah. Done. All right, All right. Peace and love, you guys. Thank you all for watching. Thank you for having me.